This is Altruistic, where we speak with pioneers in the race to zero and unpack the lessons from their experience for you, our community of impact professionals. I'm your host, Isabel Wild, and in today's episode, we are catching up with Emily Boothroyd, Sustainability Insights Associate at Altruistic. Emily is the lead researcher into land-based emissions accounting at Altruistic. She is incredibly well-placed to get us up to speed with the upcoming regulatory changes. 2023 is set to be a huge year for land-related emissions, with SBCI requiring flag targets from April onwards, and the GHG protocol releasing their official land sector and removals guidance in the second half of the year. In our conversation today, we will run through what your company needs to know and do to understand and measure land-based emissions. Emily, welcome. Hey Izzy, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to hear a bit more about you and your role at Altruistic. So I've been at Altruistic since 2021. I'm placed in the Sustainability Insights team. So my role is more specifically on the product side of the Sustainability Insights team. So I'm involved in making sure that any new features that we're developing for the product are developed to be aligned with sustainability product protocols and principles. So I've been leading the research at Altruistic into land sector emissions accounting. And I've been involved in the review process for the upcoming GHG protocol, land sector and removals guidance. So we're trying to now build that into our product and that's what I'm involved in. That's fantastic. And I'd love to just jump straight into it and ask you what exactly are land related emissions? Yeah, sure. So land related emissions arise from agricultural, forestry and other land sector activities. So sometimes that's shortened to AFOLU. And there's also another acronym that comes up a lot, which is FLAG. So they're basically very similar things. So FLAG stands for Forestry, Land and Agriculture. Land-related emissions arise from activities like land use change or land management. Land use change, for an example, would be if you converted forested land into grassland or cropland. So a movement between two different land categories. Land management emissions could be things like applying fertilizer to the land that can create emissions, for example. Land-related emissions have traditionally been really difficult for people to measure. They're affected by a lot of different variables like weather, season, they're very variable. So that's one of the reasons that recently there's been a lot of interest in this area. New guidance has been arising to help people kind of deal with that and be able to account for the emissions. The other reason is that The agriculture, forestry and other land use sector is a huge source of emissions globally. So that sector produces almost one quarter of annual anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. That together with the complexity of measuring the emissions is why there's been a lot of new guidance, new protocols in this area to help people to measure it. And the fact that there, there are so many emissions in this sector opens up an opportunity for huge mitigation. So if we can get a handle on land-related emissions and what we can do to reduce them and how we can use the land sector to remove emissions even, is really opening up potential for huge results to reduce the carbon that's going into the atmosphere as well. And which companies should be particularly aware of these emissions and why? So companies that have land-related activities in their value chain or in their own direct operations should start to think about measuring their land-related emissions. So some examples of those type of companies would be farms, forestry companies who have large direct emissions that would be within their own operations. 
it's also relevant for companies that have large emissions from coming from land-related sources that are in their value chain. So that would be companies like food or beverage processes or retailers. And that's kind of because the products that they're purchasing to go into their products have the land-related impacts. It's also relevant for other companies like clothing or textile companies or even packaging companies and others if they have land-related activities in their value chain. A good example might be if your company produces orange juices and they procure lots of oranges to go into the juice, they would need to consider this as a major source of emissions. So the production of those oranges would be creating land-related emissions. Or, for example, a clothing production company, the cultivation of the crops that are used to produce those fibres that go into the clothes need to be considered. Okay. And I guess we've touched on a couple of the reasons why companies should be accounting for these emissions, given the mitigation benefits. But I was wondering if you could outline what these key reasons are. So I think three really good reasons to start accounting for land-related emissions would be aligning with upcoming requirements and guidelines, external communications about product impact, and also being able to account for any removals impact that your company is creating. So I can dive into those three reasons a bit more. So on requirements and guidelines, recently there have been two really important pieces of guidance that have come out. So the first one is the Greenhouse Gas Protocol Land Sector and Removals Guidance, which is actually currently still in draft format. It's set to be finalised by the second half of 2023. And the other one is the SBTI flag target setting guidance. So those two documents have been developed kind of hand in hand. So to be able to set SBTI flag targets, you need to have accounted for your land related emissions. And you would do that by using the greenhouse gas protocol, land sector and removals guidance. Those are really the best sources of information on this topic. In terms of uh, external communications, I think we see in a lot of areas now that customers are increasingly interested in the environmental impact of products or services that they purchase. So it's really, really important for transparent communication that your company is using the most up-to-date and and relevant accounting guidelines. In terms of removals opportunities, the removals are not required to be reported at an optional reporting category. So they could be across various different areas. They could be Removals that happen in land management, they could be biogenic or technological. Biogenic means that the removals are through biological processes like photosynthesis and technological is through technological processes like carbon capture and storage, for example. So really, if your company is already leading the way in putting those good practices in place, then you could reap the benefits of kind of claiming the removals as long as they're done in the correct way and they're maintained and monitored and they have to meet really high requirements to be able to claim them but if you are doing that then it's a great opportunity to show all the good work that you're doing. You've drawn out some really interesting points here Emily and I would love to focus a bit more on the requirements piece. Would you be able to unpack in a bit more detail what regulations we should be aware of and what these look like in practice for businesses looking to be proactive and get ahead of the regulatory curve? Yeah, so I think the the two main pieces of guidance to be aware of are the greenhouse gas protocol 
um, land sector and removals guidance and the SBTI flag target setting standard. So if your company already accounts for greenhouse gas emissions in compliance with the greenhouse gas protocol guidelines, which are the most internationally recognised standards for greenhouse gas accounting, they will soon be required to account for both the non-land emissions and also separately for any land-related emissions. So that would be required if your company has land sector activities or removals in its operations or supply chain. In terms of the greenhouse gas protocol guidance, some of the key accounting areas that it covers and it's great to start familiarising yourself with would be land use change, land management, product or geologic carbon and removals. So I mentioned before, reporting of removals is optional and it does have some very high requirements. So yeah, if your company is meeting those requirements, then it's great to also report those. To deep dive into some of those terms that I just mentioned. So land use change happens when one piece of land changes from one land use category to another. So there are some predefined categories that land use can fall into. Um, So the emissions arise when the land is converted between the categories. So One example of this would be if there was deforestation that had happened. So if uh, forest was cut down to make way for cropland, then the carbon would be released from the land because of the trees being cut down. So that would be one example of land use change. Land management happens within one land use category. So one example of this could be the choices that are made, for example, on the fertilizer that's applied to a piece of land, for example, When you apply fertilizer to the land, it would have some direct and indirect emissions that happen because of the type of fertilizer it is, how it's applied. I think different variables affect that, but that's one example. GHG protocol also require at least one land tracking metric to also be reported. So one example of a land tracking metric would be indirect land use change. A good example of indirect land use change comes from biofuel procurement. So when you purchase biofuel, this increases the demand and that can displace other agricultural activities into other land areas. For example, if demand for biofuel increased and the cultivation of that biofuel was became more popular, then the cattle farming that might have been happening on that land at the time could be displaced into another area, which could cause deforestation. So the deforestation that's happened to make way for cattle farming has indirectly been caused by the purchase of the biofuel. So that's just an example of when indirect land use change can happen. Using those type of metrics kind of allows us to have a handle on the broader impacts globally of land use actions. The second main piece of documentation to be aware of is the SBTI flag standard. So if your company is setting a science-based target then SBTI's requirements around land-related emissions will also apply, and those will be required from April this year, 2023. So if your company has more than 20% of gross emissions coming from forest, land, or agricultural sources across scopes one, two, and three, then you must submit separate flag targets. So it's important to know if you've been involved in the SBT process before that flag targets are separate to non-flag targets. If you had any flag abatement, that wouldn't be allowed to be used for your non-flag targets. And the flag targets also require a deforestation commitment to be set. Those will be required from April 2023 onwards, and that goes hand in hand with the Greenhouse Gas Protocol accounting 
guidance that would be used to account for the emissions that are going into your flag target. Thanks for running through those so succinctly, Emily. I would love to just draw on your expertise and ask if there's any advice that you would give to a company looking to start understanding and measuring their land-based emissions. If you have three top tips, what would they be? Yeah, so three top tips, I would say, number one would be to understand where you're at in your land-related data journey and where your most likely pain points will be. Secondly, I would say is to begin now. So your data is is quite unlikely to be perfect the first time around, which is fine. But just getting ahead of the curve by being on top of the upcoming updates and requirements is great. And then finally, I think is to be transparent about any data gaps, because like we were saying, the data is unlikely to be perfect the first time around. As long as you're transparent about that, then results can be interpreted correctly. Fantastic. Emily, thank you so much for running through and outlining what businesses should know about upcoming regulations, as well as how they should start measuring and accounting for their land-related emissions. It's incredibly clear to me that land-based emissions are becoming increasingly important for both for companies, GHG inventory, and for target setting. Really enjoyed our time speaking today, and thank you again. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of This Is Altruistic. Do get in touch if you're on a journey to understand your business's environmental impact and want to know more about land-related emissions. The notes from this episode are available in the show notes below and you can find more episodes of the This Is Altruistic podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts.